bringing us safely through another week. And Lord, we ask that as we begin this study and progress through this study, that you will send your Holy Spirit, Lord, to lead us into all truth, Lord, and help us to glean, Lord, the, the principles of truth and faith that you want us to live by. And then help us to live by those things, Lord. Bless all of those that are attending, all of those that will hear this message later. And uh, bless all of our, uh, those that are will be attending uh, on the internet also, Lord. And we just thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. I'm going to take a minute to share. And if anybody wants to do that, now's the time to share. Yeah, I need to share something. <laughs> okay. Um, we are going to take up, uh, it was raised to me, a point was raised to me before the class <laughs> um, about uh, dealing with, um, I'm going to say the last one, two, three, four chapters. I mean, four paragraphs of this chapter. So we're going to take that up first. And then we're going to go back to the beginning of the chapter. And um, so um, in the last, starting with uh, paragraph 421.2, um, Ellen White talks about God's order being reversed and his special directions disregarded by those who adopt the quote unquote American costume. And she says that she was referred to Deuteronomy 22.5, the woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man, neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. The God would not have his people adopt the so-called reform dress. It is immodest apparel, wholly unfitted for the modest, humble followers of Christ. And then she goes on to talk about in the next paragraph, there's an increasing tendency to have women in their dress and appearance as near like the other sex as possible and to fashion their dress very much like that of men, but God pronounces it an abomination. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety. And then she goes on to say, those who feel called out to join the movement in favor of women's rights and the so-called dress reform might as well sever all connection with the third angel's message. The spirit which attends the one cannot be in harmony with the other. The scriptures are plain upon the relations and rights of men and women. All right, I'm opening the floor to comment and conversation about this. Ah. <laughs> uh. Okay, so I don't know why Karen wants to start with that. <laughs> As I said, someone brought it to me earlier. And so I'm bringing it to the class. Okay. Well, first I want to say this is like, um, she really speaks some strong language there, right? I don't usually hear that um, language so strong. Yes, it's very strong language, mm -hmm. very strong language. I think first of all, we have to determine what is the fashion, what is the reform, women's dress reform that she's talking about to clearly understand what she's talking about. Mm -hmm. um, I think in our day and age, uh, women wear pants routinely. I mean, it's, it's not even an issue. 
for women to wear pants in our day and age. So what is she really talking about here? Is she talking about quote unquote pants per se? Is she talking about people who are transgenders that, or cross dressers who, who, who dress and appear as one sex, even though they're another sex? What is she talking about here? What do you all think? You know, um, I looked it up. I did a little extra research on the, the issue. And one thing, she d- is not about pants because she recommends that women wear um, pants that are kind of, you know, wide at the top and tapered down at the bottom, what we might call straight legs, but not super tight. So it's not that, that wasn't the issue. I looked up the American costume that was talking about, and that was like, a, um, I think like she mentioned Turkey, like Turkish people, men wear where you have the pants and then a long, um, long covering jacket, tonic. Mm-hmm. yeah, long tunic, and then the uh, vest and a tie. And I think that was kind of what, she, that's one um, dress that she talked mentioned. And then there was a second dress that was Americanized dress. And that was um, a skirt with the hoops, you know, dragging the ground and uh, long, really, you know, full, and she was like, that's unhealthful for women because it dragged down, you hung off the hips and that weight on the hips was unhelpful for them. So there's two different dresses. It's, it's a lot out there about the dress code and stuff, but those are the two dresses, um, costumes that I um, observed that she was talking about. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the hoops, because one of the things that I recall her saying about hoops in the past is that they were very immodest because it was impossible for women to sit down in those without raising the hoops up to their waist level. So now you've got their underwear and everything exposed and, you know, (laughs) all of that stuff exposed because women could not sit in those 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 things. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I, I remember her particularly condemning the hoops because of that. Another thing, because I also looked it up, the, the, the costumes that women were wearing in that time period that she lived and what she could have, you know, possibly been speaking about. And it talked about the many layers of clothes that women had on. I mean, they had on so many clothes that and, and then, you know, they had on corsets and bodices and then they had on these skirts that she said women often wore 25 pounds of clothes. Mm-hmm. Or it's it. It's it. The article said women wore 25 pounds of clothes and that it was just it was too hot in the summer. It was not warm enough in the winter because of the I guess just made the way it bloomed out and stuff like that. And um, so there was a there was a call for a and, and also it was very decorated, decorated. And, you know, we know that Sister White is and not in favor of a lot of decorations on clothes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it just kind of discussed the fact that, that women were really stifled in their health because they were constricted, then they were weighed down, then they were either n- not warming up or too hot, you know? And so I, I think when we look at that, we have to look at all of that. And then we also do have to look at the fact of nowadays we have women who claim to be men and men who claim to be women. And it's, it's, that's, that's something else entirely, you know? Um, and I think that's a different, 
I guess that's a different dynamic than just a woman putting on a pair of pants, um, not trying to be a man or, or you know, mm-hmm. or, or so forth and so on. Um, what you're you know, talking, huh? Go ahead. What were we saying? Oh, I thought someone else was saying something. Well, oh. so that goes into again um, that part of it then has to do with what your motive is when you're wearing anything. And that, that that's with anything, isn't it, really? Yes. I mean, you know, um, some people may wear something that they're doing it simply for show. You know, I, it's funny, I posed a question on uh, the Wakanda uh, group and I asked the question, do you come to a virtual church dressed or not dressed and why or why not? And most people said, if unless, unless they were participating on the program or had a part in the program, they were not dressed. So then my husband and I were talking about it and we said, okay, well, that means first of all, that you're not approaching the Sabbath as God's day and that you're coming into his presence. And so most of them say, well, I just keep on pajamas. Well, that means that if, when you were going to church, what, what, what did that mean? You were dressing up for who? You know, who were you dressing up for if you were wearing clothes when you went to church, but you don't wear clothes now in the presence of God on Sabbath? You know? I think, Karen, that has to do with... Um... What's acceptable? For example, it's not acceptable to be in church in your pajamas, in your negligee. That's not that's not acceptable. But at home, it's acceptable. Right. Um, the, the question was, do you, how do you come to church? Not what's acceptable at home versus what's acceptable at church. And and so the question was, basically, you're coming into the presence of God on the Sabbath. So how do you approach that? You know, there was no right or wrong answer as far as I'm concerned. It's just, you know, it was it's just a thought question. You know, how do you approach coming into the presence of God? And 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 if you were dressing up, and it's not even saying you have to dress up at home. That's not what I was even getting at. It was, well, if coming into the presence of God on the Sabbath is not acceptable, was not acceptable before in your pajamas, why is it acceptable now, I guess? You know. But the Karen. Hmm. Yes. Can you hear me? Can you yes. hear me? Yes. I got in late. So did we jump over to chapter 78? Is that what we did? No, we're at the end of 76, the last three or four paragraphs. We started okay, with because, because I'm ahead. And in chapter 78, it talks about extreme dressing. That's why I thought that's where you were. Okay, thank you. No, we're at the bottom. We're at the, we're at the um, back of... Um, 76. We're at the end of, yes, 76. And okay, the reason that you. I started there is because someone asked me that question prior to class today about okay. uh, the meaning of that and what, what I thought about it. So okay. we started there. Thank you. I'm sorry. <laughs> no problem. I had no a problem. comment about that dress thing or what you wear to church. <clears throat> uh, we always, we're always in God's presence wherever we are. He is there. And he sees us when we don't have any clothes on. So mm-hmm. clothing's not an issue with God. Is when he says, come as you are, he's not talking about what you're wearing. He's talking about your heart and where your mind is at. So right. Right. I agree with that. Personal choice. 
Because a lot of people don't have suits to wear. They wear T-shirts. That's all they got. But their heart is clean towards God, and he's happy to see them. And I, I believe that. I, I absolutely believe you're right in, in that, Lee. Um, the question was merely a thought question, and, and it does have to do with your mind, your intent. You know, is, is your intent towards God different now because of the pandemic, or is it, you know, you understand what I'm saying? What is your intent? Was your intent, uh, was your intent based on what man sees or what God sees? And I'm talking about the heart right now. I'm really not talking about the outward dress because as you said, Lee, God doesn't really care about that. Which I think is also the same with when we're talking about the American costume or women wearing that, which pertains to a man. It's still about your intention and where your heart is at. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If, if people are dressing to look like a man or to take on the characteristics of a man or vice versa a woman, then that's wrong, no matter what you're wearing or doing. Mm -hmm. uh, what was the name of, they used to have a name for when the clothing was neutral, neither men or women. It's a name for that uh, type of- Unisex. Say that again. Unisex. unisex. It can be, yes, it's unisex. Or and androgynous. Androgynous too. So I think the issue, I, I believe that one of the issues is um, we are made in the image of God, you know, and then it says uh, male, men created he, him and female created he, she, she, them, whatever. But I, we are made in the image of God. He wanted us to have that separation between man and woman. He didn't want us to be uh, like a continuum where you can't tell where one began and the other ended. That's another. Well, I too think uh, my sister is uh, superintendent of our Seventh Day Adventist Church back home, and she said when she had surgery on her knees that she didn't want anybody to see. So she actually, she said she hadn't purchased slacks in a, a long time. So she said she purchased a pair to go to church, and then they had one of their uh, conference people came down to visit the church, and he kind of pulled her to the side. She said he wasn't happy with her. He said, she said, then she had to explain to him, I don't want them to see the scars yet, you know, and she said, so, but she said it, it did cause a little, little conflict back home. And I said, we're very conservative in the church because they, like I say, even when I go home, I have to remind them my kidneys are not well. So I do need to get up and go to the bathroom and I try to go before the pastor start preaching. But it, it, it did cause a little conflict there because my sister had never worn slacks, you know, in so long. Mm. Okay. And these are just thought questions. This is not meant to judge anyone or, you know, anybody on what they choose to do. Because as Lee was saying, um, it, it is your intent, what's in your heart. And we have a viewer online, uh, Dr. Johnson, that says, agreed with you, Lee, that says we're in the presence of God all the time. And so, yes, um, that is something that we need to consider. What is our intent towards God all the time and not just on the Sabbath, but all the time? Okay. Um, so as I said, we started with that question. Any other comments on that before we back up? I had a comment about the, <clears throat> uh, the way Patsy was saying her sister had put on certain clothing and people was you know, wondering what was going on, I guess, or had some issue with it. Uh, many times, 
as human beings, we just need to relax sometime and stop trying to run everybody else's life. People <laughs> have obvious reasons why they do certain things. Maybe I don't know what your reason is, but that shouldn't give me a right to condemn you for what you're doing unless I have a straight dust say it the Lord. Otherwise, many things that we get upset about with other people, it's just personal opinion. And if that's all it is, I have every right to do what I want to do, if it's just opinion. And you have every right to do what you want. So we all just kind of need to relax and stop trying to put our expectations on everybody else. Mm -hmm. So I think, I, I, I think to rightly divide this, I think as Lakita mentioned that when you're dealing with someone who, uh, because it says, but God pronounces it an abomination. And I, I think it's, it's, it goes back to the mindset. What is your mindset? What is your reason? What is your intention? And that's with anything that we do. What is your mindset? What is your reason? What is your intention? And so, um, uh, and she says the last paragraph, she says with the so-called dress reform, there goes a spirit of levity and boldness just in keeping with the dress. Modesty and reserve seem to depart from many as they adopt that style of dress. I was shown that God would have us take a course consistent and explainable. Let the sisters adopt the American costume and they would destroy their own influence and that of their husbands. So to some extent, I guess she is talking about the, the outward dress itself. Um, and, and she's dealing with that as it pertains to our influence on others as we attempt to witness to other people. Um, and, 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 and to some extent that, that is true. If we, if we dress a certain way, we are not going to gain, let's see, how do I put this? We're not going to gain the, um, the souls that we would hope to gain for the cause of Christ. I'm not, I'm not going to even define what that way of dress might be, but we, we all know that if we dress a certain way and then we go Bible toting and saying, you know, this is, this is what Christ stands for. I think that, you know, there would be believers, unbelievers that would turn away from us, you know, and just say, you know what, mm -mm, that's what, if that's who you're following, I don't want no parts of that. You know, but you know, Sister Karen, she goes in when you when we get to chapter seventy eight, she goes into talking about the extremes in dress. So that 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 really kind of, it kind of goes along. I wish it was one you know after another, but it it's a very heavy chapter on chapter seventy eight to read about the extremes in dress. Okay, okay. Well, we'll I think also that. I think also Karen up here it says that. What uh, the so-called dress from there goes a spirit of levity and boldness just in keeping with the dress. And sometimes, you know, like um, when people are doing some things, I, you know, I can't really think of anything off, right off the top of my head that they're not supposed to do. They, they get kind of bold with it. Like, I dare you to say anything to me about what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. So I think she's talking again is um, modesty and reserve seem to depart from many as they adopt that style of dress, you know, there's that boldness that God just dare you all to, you know, come to me with this or whatever. So again, it's going right back to the heart that, you know, listen, if this thing, whatever you put on, I'm saying whatever you put on, if it's going to cause you to shift your attention, your affections, and all of that is attention is taken off of God and onto what you're wearing, then this thing is a problem. It's a problem. Mm 
Right. And, and, and I have to add to that, a reprobate mind is going to react differently than a mind that has stayed on Christ. Mm-hmm. And so therefore the visible consequences of that are going to be different. I'll just put it like that. Um, our that online is- viewer... Oh, go ahead with the online. Our online viewers, uh, Dr. Johnson says, we have to take the context of Paul's counsel. This was not about sexuality. It was women wearing men's clothing, men's clothing to conduct business rather than depending on God to take care of them. And she says with Sister White, remember the American costume were those tight corseted required dresses, which we we talked about at the the beginning of of this, uh, which were immodest. And the, the hoops and all of that were just, they were, they were unhelpful and immodest. So thank you for that comment, Dr. Johnson. I was going to add to that. Uh, the key words are modest and immodest. And that goes for men and women. Uh, most of the time when we talk about dress reform, everybody's looking at what women are wearing. Oh, mm-hmm. wear that. They enticing the men. Oh, women shouldn't wear that. They're going to ruin their husband's reputation. Men can wear immodest stuff too. And uh, sagging have, pants, for instance. <laughs> yeah, and it'll have the same effect on their wives. That can't be Elder Carroll looking like that. His wife, that's terrible. She's the women's health leader or something. You know, it can affect you that way. But the key, again, is modest and immodest. You know, mm-hmm. you wear modest, good quality clothing, you know, not too low up there, not too high down there, so to speak, but proper clothing that fits well and is healthful. Mm-hmm. Now, as we go back um, to the head of this chapter, the cause in the East, uh, and apparently, apparently the comments that she made about clothing were, because they're in this chapter, I'm going to assume that they were directed to the fashionable, quote unquote, fashions of the day at that time in the, that were worn in the East. Uh, but she starts off this chapter talking about um, how God tested his people on time in 1844. Uh, but that he has not, there has been no testing since then that have borne the marks of his hand as far as setting a time prophecy. And she says he has not tested his people upon any particular time since 1844. Um, then she goes into, uh, uh, in the next, uh, further on in that paragraph, in the next few paragraphs, talking about a time that was set in 1854. I myself was unfamiliar with a time being set in 1854, but of course she was living at that time, so she would be aware of that. And apparently there was a time set that Jesus would return in 1854, uh, which was 10 years later after the 1844 disappointment. And, um, but she says that, um, that there was, that was not from God, that it was, it was not, any time that God was testing his people. And she said that um, the spirit that attended that, that proclamation was not of God. She says it was noisy, it was rough, it was careless, it was excitable spirit. And that many people considered this, this loudness of the whole movement to be from God, but uh, that, um, and, and essential, an essential of true religion and she said there was a tendency to bring all down upon a low level. And many regarded this as humility, but when opposed to their peculiar views, they would become excited in a, movement, in a moment and manifested an overbearing spirit and accused those who did not agree with them of being proud and of resisting the truth and the power of God. So 
um, whatever that movement was. And as I said, before I read this chapter, I was not familiar with that, that time setting in 1854. Was anyone else familiar with that time setting? I was not. Okay. Okay. And um, then she talks about how the angels, the holy angels were displeased and disgusted with the irreverent manner in which many use the name of God. And so apparently there was a lot of misuse of the name of God, maybe even taking his name in vain or claiming to be followers of Christ when they were not. Um, that's another way of, of misusing the name of God. And that um, she talked about how uh, in the next uh, paragraph, um, let me see, paragraph 410.2, how many times in the Bible um, there were men that came into contact with holy angels and they reverenced those holy angels um, so much because they had been in the presence of God that they thought they were going to die. Um, she mentioned uh, Manoah who um, they saw an angel of the Lord and thought they would surely die. Um, she mentioned Gideon perceived that, that who he was talking with was an angel of the Lord, but the, but the, but the angel told him, peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. Uh, she talks about Joshua when he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, there was a man over against him with the sword, sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went up in, to him and he spoke to him. And then, uh, the, that angel ended up telling Joshua, loose thy shoe off thy foot for the place where thou standeth is holy. And Joshua did so. And then she ends that paragraph saying, if angels were thus feared and honored because they came from the presence of God, how much greater reverence should God himself be regarded? Um, any comment on that? That that, that particular movement in 1844 encompassed a, an irreverence for the name of God? Um, I don't have a comment on that, but I was... A comment on where you mentioned about the noisiness and people thinking that was uh, an essential true religion. <laughs> and that's still somewhat true today is that people think if your church ain't jumping and shouting and doing cartwheels that you're not praising the Lord. And even preacher people say, uh, if he ain't shouting, making me shout or something, then he ain't really preaching. He's lecturing because we still, some people still associate loudness and noise with the Holy Spirit, but from God's word, we know that the spirit comes in a still small voice. And that's not to say that there is no excitement, but it's excitement that is actually due to the Holy Spirit and not just due to a person getting emotional or getting overly excited on their own. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I had someone who tried to convince me if I don't talk in tongues, then I'm not filled with the Holy, Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just kind of, you know, I didn't want to get in no confrontation, but I just mm -hmm. kind of said, well, why don't you read over the Bible again? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and what, I wasn't going to say what I thought. I just told him, read over the Bible again. Uh -huh. Their entire denominations based strictly on that. Speaking in tongues. If, if you don't speak in tongues, what they call tongues, tongues so-called, not real truth tongues. But if you don't do that, then you're not converted and the Holy Spirit's not with you. And yes, that's what they believe. Because they don't understand. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
And then she goes on down in paragraph 411 to talk about the fact that many who, she says that there were people that were converted, quote unquote, converted in, a, in the 1854 movement. But she said that they, now a lot of them, nine out of 10 needed to be reconverted. And she goes on into the same, some of the reasons why. And she says that they received truth mixed with error. And then as this chapter goes on, we, we uh, gain an understanding of what some of that truth mixed with error was. But she says this class must unlearn before they can learn or write, else the poisonous weeds of error would grow rank and root out the precious seeds of truth. Error must first be rooted up, then the soil is prepared for the good seed to spring up and bear fruit to the glory of God. And then she talks about the only remedy for the East and um, um, before you go there, Karen. Okay, go ahead. On the part about the class must unlearn first. That mm -hmm. was uh, one of the reasons, rather, why you had the um, when a person was baptized, they either had the lessons before or immediately after joining the church, so mm -hmm. that unlearn any errors they might have learned, and then learn God's truth out of His scriptural word. But when that doesn't happen, then you have the, the new members come in with all the errors and mistakes they have in scripture. And then they mm -hmm. do that with the people who are already in church and you just end up with a lot of watered down beliefs. So mm -hmm. it's important that new members should be taught, you know, not just brought in for numbers, but actually taught God's word out of right. all these scriptures and explained to right. so that we can all come to a knowledge of the real truth. Right. And, and, and the Lord actually says in Matthew, he says, teach, baptize and teach. So it's teach before, mm -hmm. then baptize and then continue to teach afterwards. And uh, I have noticed that a lot of times we may teach before we may go through Bible studies with people before. But then and, 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 and it's my understanding, mostly it's the first 14 Bible studies. Like if you do amazing facts or something like that, it's the first 14 and then they get baptized mm -hmm. and then that's it, you know. Um, some churches do have a new believers class uh, or, or, you know, something where they continue, but uh, uh, other churches don't. And so, like you said, Lee, they're just, they're dropped off on the pew once they're baptized and that's it. And whatever they glean, whatever they erroneous glean, views. yeah, whatever they can glean from there is what they, whatever they end up believing, you know, um, what does she say the only remedy for the East is in the next paragraph? Um, thorough discipline and organization. Mm -hmm. and, she, discipline. and she talks about the spirit of fanaticism that, that attended that movement in 1854. And she says that, um, that uh, they have sipped but lightly at the fountain of truth and are unacquainted with the spirit of the message of the third angel. And she says, nothing can be done for them, this class, until their fanatical views are corrected. And that some who were in the 1854 movement brought along with them erroneous views, such as the non-resurrection of the wicked and the future age. And they are seeking to unite these views and their past experiences with the message of the third angel. What, 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 this is my question to the class. What would the devil seek to gain by a movement that, that believed that the wicked were not going to be resurrected? So they can believe uh, that Jesus did not really rise from the dead. Mm. Well, they, I mean, I'm tripping. I'm tripping. I'm sorry. Oh, that I'm, I lost my train of thought and move right along. Let me get to thinking. 
that there is no real punishment for them. That mm. if they die, then that's the end of it. So really, uh, do whatever you want and do whatever you can now because you know whatever you get is is here on earth. Right. Oh yeah. I, 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 and I I think both of you made a good point. I mean, I think your point was good because uh, we know that, uh, and the Bible tells us that if we believe that Jesus was not resurrected, there's no hope for the righteous. But at the same time, we know that from the Bible also that the unrighteous are going to be resurrected and destroyed. And so I think you're right on point, Lakita, in that uh, he's really saying just, you know, all live you really life. Do is, live your life, live your life. All you're really going to do is die. You're not going to have to face judgment, you know, but but we know that God is love. He, 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 he wishes that all would come to repentance but he knows that many are not. He's going to perform his strange act. He's going to judge. Um, and, and the Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. So those who profess to believe in him, but did not keep his word, he's going to judge those. The ones that never accepted him, they, they have no chance of being saved anyway. There's not even any point in judging them. But it's, the judgment is for those who professed a belief in Christ, but did not obey him. And so um, I think that's a very good point that the devil gains converts by saying, you know what, you just live your life. And there's no judgment. There's nothing at the end. You just die and, and you, you know, that's just it. And I also think if the devil can get doubt into you, then he, he feels like he's, I've got him since I got him doubt. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Because, because when you begin to doubt the word of God, it doesn't just stop with one thing that's in the word and the devil you're right he, he works on that to make you doubt other things that are contained in the word of truth um and then she talked about in that same thing um the future age so it, it she doesn't really expound on what that error entailed um so i'm not really quite sure what the era of the future age entails. I want to speculate. It's the same thing as New Age is, or the cult movement back in that day. Hmm. I'm just speculating. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought about the fact of the secret rapture and how, you know, there's people that believe that uh, people are going to disappear and God's going to take them up to heaven. And then the other people have seven more years to get, get things right. Um, that came to mind to me, but I don't really know. Um, not, as I said, not having been aware of this time movement in 1854. Uh, and she doesn't really specify what that error as to the future age meant. Um, it could be that- I thought it was that, that the people were erroneous into what they thought the future age was gonna entail. Like there's a lot of pastors preaching about, you know, the resurrection, uh, the second coming, life in heaven, but they're, what they're preaching does not agree with the scripture. So they're all off base talking about what's going to happen in the future. Mm -hmm. period. Okay. Um, okay, now let's go down to the next paragraph. And she's talking about something that one of you all mentioned. She says, fanaticism, false excitement, false talking in tongues, and noisy exercises have been considered gifts which God has placed in the church. And some mm -hmm. people have been deceived there by that. 
and um, that uh, and she talks about further down how this fanaticism and the speaking in tongues, people were speaking in gibberish that not even heaven understood. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, uh, uh, Patsy, you mentioned that that um, somebody said that if you didn't speak in tongues, you were not what? How did you put it, Patsy? I wasn't, fi- I, I, the ho- I wasn't filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, okay. But we know as, as, as if you go back and read the Bible, we know that the speaking in tongues has a time and a place. And it's not simply just somebody starting to utter gibberish mm-hmm. out of their mouth. Yeah, because they can't, they can't even interpret it to, to you even after they do it. So it's like, what did you say? They don't know. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. And, and, and so that was part of this movement in 1854 is just gibberish, false talking in tongues and just noise, a bunch of noise. And, 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 um, and we know we know that also that speaking in tongues is not going to be the measure of salvation. That's not it at all. <laughs> it is going to be obedience to God's commandments. That is the measure of salvation. And so um, while speaking in tongues is a gift or fruit of the spirit, perhaps um, it has a time and a place. And the Bible clearly outlines that time and that place. And when the Bible's talking of speaking in tongues, it's talking about languages. Not just yes. in gibberish. Yes. And yes. I think it was Elder Brooks had mentioned he was preaching in Africa and he was preaching and people loved it. And they, they had people asked, why did you need an interpreter? And he said, because I don't speak African language, whatever their language was. And they mm-hmm. he heard you perfectly. Mm. Wow. <laughs> that was the Holy Spirit doing that. Right. That's real tongues. The Spirit yes. allowed them to hear in their own language as it said. Right. Day of Pentecost, each man heard in their own native language. Absolutely. And see, that's why I referred that person back to go ahead and go back and study your Bible, because I assumed that that person would go back to look at the, the when it, when it, what was taking place at Pentecost. Mm-hmm. But here's where we are in danger, at, uh, Karen. It's a little bit further down. It says some are not satisfied with meeting unless they have a powerful and happy time. They work for this, get up in excitement of feeling. But the influence of such meetings is not beneficial. When the happy flight of feeling is gone, they sink lower than before the meeting because their unhappiness did not come from the right source. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's come in. And I mean, it's kind of like if we don't have, you know, music or if we don't have this or if we don't have that, we, can't, we cannot serve God or we're not worshiping God correctly. I have absolutely no problem with music. I sing songs every day. I listen to music, et cetera. So don't mind say that, but it is important for us to be able to, to be connected with the Holy Spirit in and of ourselves and not be dependent upon the stuff that comes from outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And she says at the end. It becomes a matter of, did you have church or did you have church? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and she says the most profitable profitable meetings or, or worship services for spiritual advancement are those which are characterized with solemnity and deep searching of heart, each seeking to know himself and earnestly and in deep humility seeking to learn of Christ. So those are the ones, you know, that 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 those types of meetings are better because people are more reflective. You know, it's, it's so funny because... Uh, we always had this, I guess, 
saying that we talked about and said, you know, people would say, oh, you should have been at church today. Oh, church was so good today. And then you ask them, well, what was the sermon about? I don't know, but church was good today. <laughs> uh-huh. Sister, you know, and um, you know what? What's his name, Pastor? You just mentioned him. Brooks. Pastor Brooks in a sermon said there ought to be some um, there ought to be some weeping between the altar and the porch. You know, we the altar, that's right. Definitely need to something we have to meet ourselves. We have to do that self-examining, or we just not, we just cannot make it. It's it's at some point. We have to face who we are, you know, in, in our lives. If not, we cannot, because God is pointing it out to us. He's talking to us. And if we're not listening and only listening for, you know, what makes me feel good is we just, it's, what is it? Sounding brass and tinkling cymbals. It's like, we're not really being fed mm -hmm. or allowing the truth to work in us what is supposed to work in us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny with me is because I take notes. So I, I'll be sitting on a pew and somebody will say, they'll get to talking. And then I'll look at them and they're like, girl, you already taking notes over the sermon. Then don't nobody do that no more. And I was like, but I do in order to understand. So I can mm -hmm. say, you know, get some. but it, 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 it seems to be, it's like you're an outcast because you are sitting there writing, taking notes over the sermon and, People are having conversations in the in the sanctuary during the sermon. Or, mm -hmm. or and also, Pessy, um, as an outsider, you seem it could be because you are not involved. If you're reflecting on the sermon and if you're paying attention to the sermon, some processing ought to be going on. So I'm not processing if my mouth is open, talking or doing or whatever all the time. And I do I believe that the Spirit of God can move my hearts. I absolutely believe that. But I also believe that God can move on hearts with people who are being quiet in the church. They're, I mean, they're having their experience too. Okay. That's my belief anyway. Um, okay. Uh, let's go on down to paragraph 412.3. And she says, there are many restless spirits who will not submit to discipline system and order. They think that their liberties would be a bridge where they to lay aside their own judgment and submit to the judgment of those of experience. She says the work of God will not progress unless there is a disposition to submit to order and expel the reckless disorderly spirit of fanaticism from their meetings. Impressions and feelings are not sure evidence that a person is led by the Lord. Satan will, if he is unsuspected, give feelings and impressions. These are not safe guides. All should thoroughly acquaint themselves with the evidences of our faith. And the great study should be how they can adorn their profession and bear fruit to the glory of God. None should take a course to make themselves disgusting to unbelievers. We should be chaste, modest, and elevated in conversation and blameless in life. A trifling, joking, reckless spirit should be rebuked. It is no evidence of the grace of God upon the heart for persons to talk and pray with talent in meeting and then give up to a rough, careless manner of talking and acting when out of meeting. Such are miserable representations of our faith and they are a reproach to the cause of God. So apparently a lot of the people that were um, coming to these meetings, they were Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They were one way in the meetings and another way when you met them on the street. And so we know that their hearts were not truly sanctified by the grace of Christ. Because no, no, Karen. She's not talking about them. 
She's talking about us. I mean, think about it. We have to really begin to pay attention. When we're downstairs in the, um, let's say you have the meat, what's the, the meal afterwards, the pop luck or whatever it's called. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Think about it. You know, comments about the food, you know, comments about other people, trifling, talk, you know, all of this stuff, all of us, not just, I'm not saying you all, it's a we thing. And this is the type of stuff that we have to, when we read it, it's not about what's happening in 1865. This is stuff that's going on right now. And we might even put it, we might even categorize it and say, you know, when people cuss or people are um, doing, you know, let's say, or um, let's say lying. No, it's comments about your brothers and sisters in church. It's comments about, you know, people who just fixed your food and you ate. It's all of that, that, you know, comments about the pastor. Help us, Lord, because this is where the rubber meets the road at. You know, we saying one thing up in front and then, you know, we doing another thing in the back. And, and you know, right there, right at that time, it's important for us to pay attention to what we're thinking. What I think about Karen when she walks past me, what I think about Lee when he walks past me, what are my thoughts? And Lord, help me to fix it because it's a mess. And I'm glad you made that statement, Lakita, because all of the study that we're doing in Testimonies for the Church, even though she was writing at the time, there are truths and principles that we should take from these messages and apply to our lives. Because yes. absolutely, it, these messages are not fixed in time simply because she wrote them at a specific mm -hmm. time. It's like the Bible. The word of God is not fixed in time. It is for all people at all times throughout mm -hmm. this history until this world comes to an end. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I love about studying the spirit of prophecy is that it brings home to the heart those things that we should be praying about in ourselves that we see in ourselves and say, like you said, look the Lord, help us. Mm-hmm. You know, the first part, first two sentences you read on the paragraph, mm -hmm. many spirits would not submit and then think their liberties would be abridged. And that immediately made me think of the people who refused to wear masks during the COVID because mm -hmm. somebody's taking their liberty away. Uh, mm -hmm. They refuse to submit to discipline system or order. Just mm -hmm. they want to do their own thing and mm -hmm. not get to judgment expert judgment in many cases mm -hmm. people with much more experience and you know what's frightening about that is that it's not the people who look and appear sick that are spreading the virus it's the people that are asymptomatic have no symptoms don't feel sick and don't look sick that are spreading it and refusing to wear a mask you know and refusing to social distance and refusing you know they say that the backlash of people having got together over thanksgiving has not hit yet and it's but it's going to hit and and see this is what i don't understand too because even in this time when they they say you know if you want to refinance your house they want you to let people come in your house and and, and take pictures and they say and they've already had covid tests most of them and i'm like I'm not, my doctor is not for that, but you know, I don't want to be to the point that I'm scared, but I'm like, I would rather wait until this thing goes down. I told him, so I'll be refinancing at a later, later time. I said, because I don't want anybody coming in my house at this time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I understand, Patsy. Um, I had a fire in my yeah. kitchen, and they wanted to come in and bring a crew of people in to clean up the smoke and all of that. And I said, Mm-mm, not right now. They said, I said, how long you got to be here? About a week. How many people bring? About three people. I said, nope, <laughs> not during COVID. Yeah, because uh-uh. and, 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 and I hate that because you know I said I should trust in God that you know the lady wouldn't lie to me that the person. Uh, but like you said, it's the people that even if they some people are testing positive this week. I mean negative this week, and maybe next week they go get a test uh-huh. in the month. Yeah. They passing this had this. Uh-huh. This is not a test of you trusting God, sweetheart. The Holy Spirit is saying to you, lay low. And you just do mm-hmm. what it says. Let everybody do what they will. And, you know, some people, you know, they, whatever, they're not, they probably won't get COVID. But God is speaking to your heart, and he's telling you what to do for your health. And so it doesn't matter what everybody else says. And anyway, uh, I've refinanced my house. Nobody ever been to my house to look at nothing. I don't remember anybody ever coming. And so, you know, find somebody else to do it who don't need to do it's all some that. Called, it's something called an appraisal. But anyway, like oh, I yeah. said, I had a, and I said, you know, I have those same little crew that, you, that like one of the elders that keep telling me that, you know, this is showing that you need to stay prayed up because you're living in fear. And I was no, like, that's not okay. true. No, that's not true. Okay. You know what? There was something, um, that little brazen um, snake you know, when out the Israelites had come to a place and there was a bunch of snakes and the snakes were biting the people. All the people had to do was look up and be safe. Y'all had to do yes. There was some idiots that said, I believe in God, <laughs> I don't have to look up. And there were some other idiots that said, it's a brazen snake, I don't have to do it. So, and they died. So they're saying to you, hey, keep your distance. If you're, that's, the, that's the message. Keep your distance, wear your face mask. That's what you can do to protect yourself to the best of your ability. And so, you right. that. because to me, God gives us people to learn. Either we believe in people under science and the ability to um, show you and teach you some things. Not all science is correct. And, and they're going to get some things wrong sometimes. But this is what we have. And we don't have anything else. And so for that person, you tell him, I'll tell you what to do. You go ahead and walk down the hallway of the COVID thing and go in everybody's room and kiss them and then come back out in four or five days. If nothing happens to you, I might consider it. But that's foolishness. And I bet you they don't do it either. And you can say to them, you're not mm-hmm. trusting God. What's, yeah, thank you. you. God. You do what you know to do and keep your safe. The important and thing, the important God thing said, is to live through the pandemic. Get out of the pandemic alive and healthy. That's the most mm-hmm. important and God, God tells us in his word to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Mm-hmm. Part of wisdom is to, uh, he's placed, he's put men of learning, men of experience in the medical profession to be able to guide us through this and to help us. And so it's presumption and it's foolishness not to take yeah. that advice. Yeah. I mean, like Satan told Jesus, uh, jump off the top of this building. Jesus could have done it if he wanted to. He absolutely knew he was going to be resurrected, but he didn't tempt God. He didn't. And I dare somebody to say that Jesus didn't believe in God. He said, no, I should not tempt the Lord, my, uh, the Lord, my God. So the same with us, if you have some information, use it, you know, don't, don't just uh-huh. disregard it. You know, this and that. that's not important. And there's a lot of young people that just, and people period that just don't believe it's real. They don't believe it's real. Or they don't, or, or like you said, they say, well, I'm just going to trust God. I don't have to wear that. But mm-hmm. mo- mo- most of them, That's they have a reprobate mind and they, and they, and they, and, and, and 
they use God as an excuse when really they just have a reprobate mind. They, they have no intention of, you know, complying with any of the guidelines. Um, I guess what I don't understand is why are Christians attacking other Christians that are wearing masks? If you don't feel like you need one, then that's fine, but you shouldn't attack other ones that do. Well, Patsy, we know the wheat and the tear grow together. So Right. And, and to me, Patsy, that's then you know right there, the fact that they need to attack someone. That that's the spirit of God is 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 a need. There's a need for more of the spirit of God. It's just they just need to grow a little bit more, sweetheart. So that it doesn't have anything to do with your faith. Faith that right there attacking other people is an indication that they need to grow in their faith. That's what that means. Okay. All right, um, let's go on down to paragraph 413.2. It says in the, at the bottom part of that paragraph, it says, some have fanciful views which blind their eyes to important vital points of truth, leading them to place their own fanciful inferences upon a level with vital truth, meaning that what they think and what they're inferring is truth. And we see a lot of that, as we just talked about during this pandemic, people believe what they believe and they think yeah. that, you know, that's truth. We saw a lot of that from 45. Oh, it's nothing to it. You shouldn't be afraid of it. You know, just, just live your life. And we, we, we got everything under control. All of that, you know, was, was fanciful fake news. I put it like that. <laughs> Okay, um, and she said this, the appearance of such and the spirit which attends them makes the Sabbath which they profess very objectionable to the sensible unbeliever. And it would be far better for the progress and success of the third angel's message if such persons would leave the truth. So basically they're mixing so much, they're mixing so much of their own opinion with the truth that it's being so watered down that it doesn't, it, 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 it it um, profits no one. Uh, my son has a friend that he believes in the Sabbath, but he does not believe that the Sabbath begins on Friday evening. He says, God wouldn't do that. God wouldn't inconvenience us like that. So <laughs> he just believes that the Sabbath is from the time the sun comes up on Sab Saturday to the time the sun sets on Saturday. You, you mean he don't want to be inconvenient like that? Well, he says his argument is God would not inconvenience us like that because he knows I can barely get home from work to prepare for the Sabbath on Friday. <laughs> <laughs> and then my son said to him, well, you have all week to prepare for the Sabbath, you know, but he still dismisses it. So he mixes his own inferences with the truth of the Sabbath and then just does it the way that he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well. Um, she says, though, that there will be a large company of people in the East. And of course, we're speaking backwards in time at this point that would consistently obey the truth she said but she says those who follow a distracted course they have chosen will be left to embrace errors which will finally cause their overthrow but they will be for a time be stumbling blocks to those who are sincerely searching for the truth and uh, who would receive the truth if it were the straight truth if it were presented to them um, a little bit uh, farther from where you're at Karen it says uh, there are wandering stars professing to be ministers sent from God. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Everywhere you look nowadays, somebody's a minister. You know, uh -huh. Mr. Joe, I'm Minister Mary, I'm Minister Frederick. You know, and they mm -hmm. have no idea what, what the Bible even says, but because they uh, choose to put the word minister in front of their names, 
a lot of people believe them. They think they know something. And right. they tell them, you know, you, it doesn't take anything to start your own church now. Just call right. yourself a minister, get you call a yourself a minister and start collecting the tithe and offering. Right. And, Same way with being a prophet. Um, yeah, exactly. I, I responded to a Facebook comment. Uh, it was just a request for prayer, you know, and I, I put some comment there. I don't even remember right now what the comment was, um, you know, and just indicating I would pray for the person. And so this, this person, another person put a comment behind that and they, they basically claimed they were a minister and a prophet of God. And then they, they put a prophecy down there directed towards me. I said, oh, I like this prophecy. <laughs> it, was, it was a good prophecy, right? So then I started reading like some of, some of the other people, you know, that had commented on the person's prayer request and saying they were praying for him and whatever. And the man, this, this so-called minister and prophet put the exact same prophecy for everyone that prayed for this person or said they were going to pray for this person. So I, um, <laughs> I sent a comment to this person and I said, how is it that you're a prophet of God and you're, you're giving the same prophecy for everyone? You know, and I forgot what his comment was behind that, but, but it goes to your point, Lee, that people just spring up and say, I'm a minister, I'm a prophet, you know. And about, a lot of people as a reliable as a newspaper horoscope. <laughs> right. a general, oh, you're going to be blessed. You're going to have a good day. The uh -huh. relationship, you're going to have a tough time. You're going to have a great time. That's the general stuff for every human being. Right. And that after a while, it was like, after, after I was reading them after a while, I said, okay, wait a minute now. He's giving the exact same prophecy for everybody. To me, that was like saying Tupac is still alive somewhere. You know? <laughs> but unfortunately, people believe him. Yes. Right. Right. And, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, uh, we, um, we uh, had a thing that you sent to me. Was that was that it, uh, Lakita, on the test of a true prophet? Was that what you sent to me that I sent out to the class members? Mm -hmm. I sent those out. Uh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So we know from that that there are certain things that we look for um, to determine a true prophet. Um, let's go on down to the next paragraph, 414.2. And she says that the truth should be presented in a manner which will make it attractive to the intelligent mind. Mm -hmm. She says how important for all who teach and all who believe the truth to be so affected by its sanctifying influence that their consistent elevated lives shall show unbelievers that they have been deceived in this people. How important that the cause of truth be stripped of everything like a false and fanatical excitement, that the truth may stand upon its own merits, revealing its native purity and exalted character. So basically she's saying, you know what? Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk. Those that are teaching it, walk the walk. And if they're not, if they're teaching it, talking it, but they're not walking it, then let's get away from that because that's not real. That's false. That's fake. Um, and basically, uh, again, she's saying in the next paragraph, those who preach the truth be refined in their manners, shun oddities and eccentricities and present the truth in its purity and clearness holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers so she goes on talking about you know what paul is saying about preaching the truth and what what manner of persons should be you know 
teaching the truth and speaking the truth. Um, and they will gain far more than those that are that have all of these um, different varying ideas of what truth is and this, this fanatical excitement about what truth is. Um, she says in the next, in paragraph 415-2, the truth of God will never degrade, but will elevate the receiver, refine his taste, sanctify his judgment, and perfect him for the company of the pure and holy angels and the kingdom of God. There are some whom the truth finds coarse, rough, odd, boastful, who take advantage of their neighbors if they can in order to benefit themselves. They err in many ways. Yet when the truth is believed by them from the heart, it will work an entire change in their lives. They will immediately commence the work of reformation. The pure influence of truth will elevate the whole man. In his business deal with his fellow men, he will have the fear of God before him and will love his neighbor as himself and will deal just as he would wish to be dealt by his conversation will be truthful, chaste, and of so elevating a character that unbelievers cannot take advantage of it or say evil of him justly so and are not disgusted with his uncourteous ways and unbecoming speech. He will carry the sanctifying influence of the truth into his family and let his light so shine before them that they by seeing his good works may glorify God. He will in all the walks of life exemplify the life of Christ. So Again, not just talking the talk, but walking the walk. That is that has the most telling influence on unbelievers. Um, that is what what uh, you know. I, I'm reminded of the story in the Bible about the three Hebrew boys, and when they were thrown into the fiery furnace, the king saw four people in the furnace, one like unto the Son of God. How did he know what the Son of God looked like? Amen. Yeah. Because some he had seen it in he had seen the Son of God in someone be it the three hebrew boys or daniel you know or whatever he had seen he had seen christ in someone and that's what we are to be someone looks at us and sees christ in us any comments on that okay we are going to unless anyone has any other comments that they want to bring forth out of this chapter uh let's see Oh, she talks about down in paragraph 417.1, she talks about people who are so deceived that they think they're right when they're wrong. They think that they're doing a great work in their religious life, but Jesus finally tears off their self-righteous covering and vividly presents before them the true picture of themselves and all their wrongs and deformity of religious character. They are found wanting when it is forever too late to have their wants supplied. God has provided means to correct the erring, yet if those who err choose to follow their own judgment and despise the means which he has ordained to correct them and unite them upon the truth, they will be brought into the position described by the words of our Lord quoted above, where, uh, and she's talking about how Jesus tells in the paragraph above that he tells people to depart from them, ye that work iniquity. Now, I never knew you. And so um, now is the time now is the time to be examining ourselves. Now is the time to be getting our lives right with Christ. Now is the time to be putting away our besetments and our idols and all of those things that separate us from Christ and, and earnestly, earnestly, prayerfully seek Christ to and his righteousness so that we will be fit and ready when he returns. Um, any other comments about this lesson? 
Are you going to do the second half next week or a week? Yeah, week after? Um, We can. You're just going to finish up this one. We can. Uh, we've already covered the last four paragraphs. We can. Um, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, unless unless someone else has any other comments about this one, I think we have brought out the important points in this chapter. Um, unless there's any other paragraphs you want to cover in this chapter. Anybody? No, I'm good. Okay. All right. Um, Lee, what are we studying next week? Next week will be uh, chapter four in the book, Heaven. Okay. All chapter right. four. Okay. Uh, well, with that, I think we'll go ahead and close out for today. Um, let me see. Alvina, you mind closing us out in prayer? Oh, yes. Okay. Dear God, thank you for bringing us together, dear God. Please keep us. Help us to remember uh, what we have read and that we take heed for it for our own life, dear God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 And amen. All right. Thank you all for joining us today on our on our uh, discipleship class, and we will see you next week at two thirty p.m. Did you say yours? Mm -hmm. Okay.